Hello and welcome to episode six of the Playful Experiences podcast. I'm your host, Matthew DeLine. I'm a graduate student here in London studying independent game design with a couple of my classmates here from a few different departments. I've got a familiar voice and two brand new voices with me here today. So I'd like to welcome them uh, and sort of go around the room briefly, have everybody introduce their names, and then we'll sort of chat, talk about what we're, where we're about, and uh, have a discussion about some of the games we've been playing recently. So uh, to my left here, I've got... Oh, Julia, uh, studying computational arts, MFA. Cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Billy, um, been on the podcast before, I'm on the same game design course as... <laughs> oh, cute. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm also on the Indie Games program, and I'm a graphics programmer. Yeah, uh, which is cool. And it's nice to have Hugh in the room here actually speaking, because uh, he's actually sat in on one of the podcasts and sort of watched us do it the other day, and that was kind of interesting. Uh, it's nice to be back. Uh, it's been a little while since we've had one of these. The last podcast we recorded uh, was back in December, and it is now May. So uh, the last podcast, we kind of left things off. It was the end of term one. And things never really slowed down from that. <laughs> yeah. uh, so right now, we, we sort of actually finished the second term. Uh, and, 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 and beforehand, we had gotten to a point where we were talking about we were finishing the end of the first term, but we still had about three weeks' worth of work to do on those projects. And now that we've sort of wrapped things up and we're getting to the very planning stages of our final projects, we thought it would be a good idea for us to take this time uh, to sort of get a chance to sit around and talk about the ideas that we have and some of the things that we've been doing. Uh, so for those of uh, 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 p- for those people who are listening to the, uh, us for the first time, we're graduate students. We're going to talk about life in London, what it's like to make games, what we've learned along the way, and some of the interesting things that uh, we're doing here. Um, in the future, we'll be answering questions that people have and uh, sharing our experience with others. So without further ado, just before starting the podcast, we sat down and played Florence. And I'd really like to sort of talk about that for a little bit, because it's one of the most interesting things that I've played in some time. Uh, so with that said, uh, I think, Julia, you seem really excited about what you were seeing. Was there anything just in this, this brief experience that you really thought struck you uh, as interesting? Uh, yeah, for sure, because uh, my background, I'm actually not a huge gamer. My background has always been in comics and illustration, and when I do play games, I prefer to play visual novels and things like that, where yeah. you don't win anything. It's yeah. all about the narrative experience. And this really spoke to me because it's a combination of both, I find. Like, it, can, it took a, a many sort of uh, layout and uh, graphic design patterns from comics, and it took a lot of game mechanics in order to like actually tell a story and serve as a metaphor for story and the experience that the character was going through, and I thought that was really powerful. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, so I don't know a whole lot about comics. I've done some studying of it in the past, just uh, from a literature angle. But what I thought was really interesting, I've been reading uh, Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics recently. In the very beginning part of that book, he makes this point where you've got really realistic images and very abstract images. And basically sort of saying, okay, well, this is a realistic looking face going down levels to where you've just got a smiley face, which is like a circle with a smiley face on it. And what's really nice about those very abstract versions of those um, those visual interpretations is that you are able to sort of put yourself into them. You're placing the, the uh, uh, your own identity, your own being, your own sense of self into these characters because they are more identical, they're more plain, or they're more open. And I think that Florence does something really interesting with that type of mechanic because there's no words in that game. Uh, so for people who haven't played it, Florence is a game on at least iOS, 
Um, and I maybe on Android, I'm not certain of that. And it basically tells the story of a uh, uh, a uh, woman's first love as she's sort of learning uh, who she is, and as she's becoming older and sort of like becoming an adult. And it does some really interesting things without saying a single word. And it teaches people to play mechanics through simple things. And it says a lot of it says something. It says a lot of things with simple uh, movements. Um, yeah. So, for example, uh, Billy, would you would you mind telling us some of the things that you thought were really interesting that you did in the game? Um, so, you go through her life just doing really basic tasks in the beginning. So, you're brushing your teeth, you're putting your clothes away, you're you're um, doing sums at work, and uh, eventually these interactions become a bit more complex as you meet this um, this person and. Uh, um, uh, one thing that I found really interesting was um, the conversations you have. So on, on their first date, um, it was sort of um, you had to match these puzzles, right? And the puzzle pieces were quite new, quite numerous. But as as the, the dates went on, the conversations became easier and more simple to fit in. So I thought that was really nice, and yeah, it's a good example of how they use mechanics to show um, like a metaphor of like their relationship. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, you also made a really good observation that the characters themselves actually are different instruments. Yeah, yeah. And that's not something I noticed the first couple of times that I played through. Uh, would you say, what, what would you say that adds to the experience? Um, so, with this, like you said, there's no words. So you need to, like, sort of channel emotion through every avenue you can. And by having her being a piano and him being a cello, it's sort of like, there's another layer of, like, subconscious communication coming to the player. So, like, you don't really feel it, but... If you can, um, you, you can tell when the, the harmony is a bit more um, like disconcerting and when it's really happy. And, but it's not something you think about, and it's mm -hmm. just it's just a really nice tool to sort of inject emotion into the player without them knowing. Mm -hmm. So it's useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, if you, so like, just out of curiosity, this isn't the first time that you played this. Mm -hmm. We were talking about maybe there's another ending that we'll, we're not sure about this. <laughs> Um, without going into spoilers, we're, we're not sure if things changed. We thought there was a, a, a meeting at the end of the game that may or may not have taken place, so I don't know if it's something that we've forgotten or otherwise. And it's also strange to think about a, a plot like this, which is focused, you know, sort of like on this like emotional relationship yeah. and having alternate endings, which is not right. associated with sort of like, you did the right thing or you did the wrong thing. And right. It's, like, it's not really clear, uh, like, what we did that resulted in one ending or the other. Right. Yeah. Or even if there is a different ending. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, and, <laughs> and I think that a lot of this has to do with, okay, well, you're progressing the story complicitly. There's sequences in the game where you have to move a clock with your finger. You can mm -hmm. go back in time. You can go forward in time. But the only way to progress is actually to be a part of this action that's taking place. You have to move someone's life forward. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I think that's just really interesting. So... Um, yeah, uh, does, does anybody else have anything that they'd like to say about the game? Something that sticks out to them? Something like, uh, say for example, the part where you're, you build a butterfly early in the game that comes and repeats, or, or, or some other things as well that struck you? I think that's a nice motif that they're using. So, so sort of like memories that you've forgotten about and then see yeah. again, that kind of trigger. So, um, so later in the game there's another sort of moment like that with, um, when she's leaving work uh, for the last time. And, uh, I just think it's really nice how they they're like it's sort of like foreshadowing in the beginning. Like yeah. This is 
and that happened again. Yeah. Yeah. How certain objects that first came to light get buried, like with her uh, painting set. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, how it gets just buried by a pile of stuff, and then you know it, it like emerges, like yeah, gets hidden and then reemerges again. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. I think it's fantastic. It's one of the easily one of the most interesting things I've played in a while, and it really sort of speaks to me in terms of how games can utilize different mechanics like this to tell stories in ways that you wouldn't be able to in other mediums. Um, I think uh, we've we talked previously on the podcast about what remains of Edith Finch, yeah. uh, and that being a way that it's sort of using different mechanics to sort of you know, tell a story in a different way that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. Uh, can anybody else think of another game that really sticks out to them uh, as, you know, something that they've played or that they've seen? I want to say Journey. Yeah. Because um, that feeling of making a friend and going yeah. down the whole path with them. Um, I noticed Genova Chen's name in the credits as well. So. Yeah, yeah, and the special thanks, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's really cool because, like, you've got, in Journey, you've got the ability to sort of speak, but that's also very simplified. Um, and that, that sort of pinging noise uh, really sort of comes out. And um, it, you can say so much with so little, and I think there's mm -hmm. power to that. Like, I mean, there's, there's something, something about that minimalist attitude that I'm not personally very familiar with that I think is really good. Passage by Jason Rohr. Yeah, Passage is fantastic. I haven't played it in so long, but it's really good. Yeah, uh, have you guys have you guys played Passage? Okay, so this is definitely something worth looking into. Um, I I don't even know if it's gonna even run on anything, but it, you know, like it, it's been a while since since I've played this, but um, it's really fantastic because it's a very short game, uh, very um, and like it's a pixel art style sort of like thing where it Passage is a game where it's describing the passage of time through life and. Without entirely ruining the experience, I think we can talk about it a little bit. Um, you know, like as you move from left to right, which is a thing that happens in a lot of side-scrolling games and a lot of other games in general, you're sort of navigating obstacles through life. Um, and as you're going further along, as you're getting older, this the stuff on the left gets scrunched up as if your memories are essentially sort of like those parts of your early part of your life become lost because they're less uh, present. And I think that's that's really interesting. Yeah, no, I think I've actually seen that one, yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, I'll check it out. It seems really interesting, actually. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, actually, so what's, what's really interesting is that um, you came to my uh, former university to give a talk, and I think uh, all the code for this game is open source, so basically people can make variations of the game um, for themselves. So, for example, um, like... Uh, one queer woman had two women characters, uh, and she added an, an extra obstacle to the game to kind of represent oh, wow. the like uh, mm. like obstacles that she faced in her relationship as time went on. Yeah. And basically, yeah, all the characters are kind of like you can change them to fit yourself, and you can add you know further obstacles to to the game to kind of I guess create a different kind of story. So. Oh, that's amazing! I yeah. hadn't even heard of that. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, so out of curiosity, Julia, just again, you said you weren't that much of a gamer, yeah. but you have been making games with us this, yeah. this this year. So, like, I've really been liking the stuff that you've been working on. Oh, what, what what inspires you to make games, specifically? Um, I guess I'm primarily interested in the story, and I think the power of games is that you can have multiple different endings and multiple different outcomes based on decisions, and to me, that's uh, that's incredibly powerful. Like, I love comics, but sometimes I just felt like the worlds were, like, too shallow. Like, yeah. not, you couldn't just go deep enough into them. Yeah. I think like I think that there's actually something really powerful about having still images on paper that I think nothing beats, but yeah. at the same time, 
I think that there's another avenue for narrative that's lost. Yeah. So I guess I got into games by wanting to explore that a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and a couple of things that you've worked on this thus far this year have been narrative experiences. Would you mind telling us just a little bit about them in a oh, few words? Sure. So the first thing I made was a visual novel, like a more traditional visual novel where like you scroll through text and then have multiple choices. And uh, it was like, uh, it took place in this kind of near future uh, society where there's organic technology everywhere and like uh, servers could morph to the kind of data that they stored. And uh, one, uh, the protagonist, a uh, woman in her like early 20s who just graduated college with no future job prospects goes back to her old hometown in the middle of nowhere and works at one of these server farms and gets access to a server that contains information on everyone pretty much and she basically has the opportunity to use that to find uh, information about her friends, uh, prospective love interests, and also to uncover a mystery that happened in her small town a few years ago. And I made different games that kind of explored that narrative through different lenses. Yeah. Um, I made a physical kind of game which was sort of like this ornate tower thing where you used an altimeter to kind of make choices in the game and it was mostly from her perspective interacting with the server as opposed to like a narrative where like someone is telling you a story like the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, a few of us have definitely seen that. Yeah. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Well, I, I played through it at the exhibition. I thought it was really creepy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it was really good though. Oh, thank you. Um, I don't know if you guys have played it yet. Yeah. The ending is... Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I still really feel like there should be a fog machine there. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, one day. Yeah, but health and safety first. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, it, it's just uh, it's interesting because um, there is something cool about being active or an active participant yeah. and and being able to. Uh, I mean, there, there there are moments in that game where you're you're pushing buttons or you're lifting a lever, but yeah. actually being able to physically interact with something beyond the level of a uh, controller, yeah. uh, I think it's really interesting. Uh, Billy and I have been playing, or at least we started playing Detroit Become Human the other day, okay. and that's a sort of narrative choice-based game uh, that released on the Sony PlayStation console, mm -hmm. uh, where you are a um, basically a set of androids that are going through this um, uh, revolutionary shift. Um, and we were talking about how their way of sort of communicating with the game is using the joysticks and the touchpad. Like occasionally you get to a point where like like in one of the first scenes yeah. you're, you're picking up an iPad and then you sort of like swipe right over the touchpad on the PlayStation 4 controller. Um, and while I think that's interesting, I think that there's something lost in that type of experience that isn't necessarily found when you're physically picking up things or putting things together. Um, so there's an advantage of having those types of experiences. Um, uh, for your game, like, w w would you would you see this as something that would primarily only exist in in exhibition style uh, experience, or is this something that you could ever see in a home? Like, do you think anybody could ever build like a Lego kit that had an interactive story or something like that? Oh, thunder! Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> that was like yeah, wow, was yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Like, definitely not the one that I have now because it's falling apart. Um, but, like, <laughs> it's glued, it's like that's glued together for the most part. So, um, definitely in a few iterations, but I would like to have something that's a bit more modular, that's more like just kind of 
yeah, like, like a mod modular thing that can be easily distributed that people can just take with themselves and carry with themselves. And I don't know, maybe like put different pieces of it together to make another kind of story. I mean, yeah, but I, I would like to see it existing within a home, not just within a gallery space. I don't generally like gallery spaces because I do think that they're a bit elitist and kind of like block off mm. they blocked off from the rest of the world. But yeah. I do like I do like the idea of such a game existing more within society. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, now I, out of curiosity also, um, we spoke briefly before the podcast about what types of games you wanted to be playing. And, and, and are these the types of games that you want to see more of? Or like, what games do you know of that you would like to play if you had more time? <laughs> so I like visual novels, so all the games yeah. that I want to play are visual novels. There's actually this really good Russian game called Everlasting Summer. It's for free on Steam oh, if anyone okay, is cool. curious. And it's a, it's a good one. So it takes place in uh, this... So in this pioneer camp, so if you had parents who grew up in a communist country, you might know what that is, but like, mm. it's basically a camp for, kind of like, that's focused on uh, engaging the community, the youth within the community. So like, kids would wear these uh, white, blue, and red uniforms, yeah. and they would just kind of learn about volunteering and about helping others, and like, many former communist countries had like, uh, actions that like 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 in you know, national days or like kids would get together and like I don't know build something for the community. Yeah. Uh, so basically, there were, it takes place in a summer camp like that where you know it's focused on community ideals. These kids uh, work together. Um, but actually, I should track a, a bit back. So yeah, the setting is in this um, camp. But what happens is that there's this man in probably Moscow, I think, who's like in his thirties. He's not exactly satisfied with his life. He's kind of a loner. Doesn't have any real friends. He ends up taking a bus somewhere and he ends up in this camp as a huh. teenager who doesn't like look like himself. So part of it is like he has to he wants to figure out how to get out of this camp like during the summer and the and uh, he wants to get back to his life, but part of but part of it he also gets absorbed in these camp activities, like these fun camp activities of like getting to know the other kids, so like yeah. um, he gets like, there's a camp uh, manager who has to, like, make him do stuff to, like, you know, prepare lunch, yeah. like, clean the library or stuff yeah. like that. So part of it is, like, finding time to figure out, like, why, how he got there in the first place. And yeah. part of it is just, like, maybe he just gets absorbed and, like, lives in this forever summer world. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, 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 I love visual novels. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm just curious, like, does this game take place in the traditional style where you're clicking through dialogue boxes? Yes, per, per, okay. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like, there are some maps you can click on, but a lot of it is just, like, yeah, dialogue boxes and, yeah. Sure. Uh, so, for, again, for people who aren't listening, again, a visual novel usually is presented in a style in which there is art in the background that sort of displays what's going on. Usually it's large portraits of characters, yep, yeah. if I'm, if I'm mm -hmm. not mistaken. Like, uh, and it generally some way of interacting with text boxes. Is there any dialogue choice that you have in this game, or is this uh, more yes. sort of like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's dialogue choice. Like, yeah, dialogue choice and also decisions that um, happen. Yeah, yeah. I can choose. Yeah. No, that's cool. Uh, have you guys played any visual novels that you really liked or anything of that style? Not recently, actually. Yeah, which is which is a shame because like I I know that there's been a whole bunch of them which have just popped up over the there's last been couple quite of years. A few, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, has anybody here played Doki Doki Literature Panic? Oh, Raymond's <laughs> told me about yeah. that one. <laughs> like, okay. Also free, um, and it does uh, like I mean without spoiling it, I it 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 presents itself as a very generic sort of happy-go-lucky Japanese town kind of like anime-based yeah. visual novel kind of thing, but. Yeah. 
it does some really creepy, weird, interesting things um, in ways that uh, really shocked me, especially with the way that the game ends. And there's an action that you have to do in the game yeah. that involves doing something outside of the game, and it's unusual. It reminded me of the moment where... Uh, I'm going to spoil parts of Metal Gear Solid. If anybody hasn't played it, you came out 20 years ago. But like, uh, there's a point in Metal Gear Solid where you have to go look at the back of the box to actually get a code uh, or sort of like a channel. And it's sort of like this interaction in a way that you weren't expecting that sort of brings the real world into this world of the game. Uh, and I, I like finding things that are like that. So if you get a chance, like, I mean, it's not terribly long, yeah. but that's definitely one of the better ones that I've played recently. Um, uh, are there any other ones that you really like? Uh, so I liked... Um the latest one by Christine Love, what's it called? Uh, um, Lady Killer in a Bind. I that one that, is yeah. a little NSFW, but to me it had like an interesting uh, mechanic where like you talk to various characters um, and at the same time there was another game within the game going on where you had to collect a certain amount of points yeah. in order to win something at the end. So you make decisions on which characters to talk to yeah. and you get a certain number of points but also talking to a character um, gives you a certain, uh, like there's a certain amount of risk in talking to another character because you're actually on a cruise ship uh, disguised as your twin brother Whoa. <laughs> and like you can't like, like 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 yeah you're sort of like a tomboyish girl who's designed who's disguised as her twin brother and um you can't like let anyone find out who you are and it's like a lot of mayhem yeah <laughs> like, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah oh, that sounds cool uh is is there anything that you can take from the games that you've been playing that you think influence the way that you'd like to make games just basically so I guess the whole language of game mechanics is new to me yeah. so whenever I see a game I try to pick up what tools other people are using and yeah. then see if I can apply it to my own work just while I'm learning so yeah. that's kind of I guess I just I keep my eye out for different techniques and things like that but I guess I'm still trying to find out like what my voice is as cliche as that sounds. Yeah, and I mean, like, yeah. I mean, like it, <laughs> yeah. it's 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 a difficult thing to quantify, especially yeah. because games, like especially if you're working in teams, that voice becomes sort of like a song. At least yeah. the way yeah. I think about it. Like, I mean, like with so many people working together. Yeah. Um, do you have a specific mechanic that you think that you've lifted from somewhere else that's been really influential to how these things that you've made worked, or anybody in the room, uh, something that you've seen elsewhere that sort of uh, inspired you? Uh, to do things a certain way or make something. Um, so there was one project that we did, um, the musical playground. So that was for term two, right? Yeah. Um, so our, our goal was to get people moving about in the space and uh, have it sort of be visualized in a, in a unique way. Um, so what, what we got people to do on the exhibition day was just play these sort of playground games like hopscotch and stuff like that just to get people to um, like move about and get together and yeah uh, I thought it went pretty well I, I think so too like I mean like I think a lot of that game was really inspired by what what makes those games work and again these aren't games that we're inspired by that are video games necessarily but they're playground games that we yeah. played as kids like yeah. tag and i remember trying to teach everybody how to play red light green light yeah. which i think has a different name here but like uh and uh i, I you know it was nice to sort of like this this sort of cultural interchange with something that's so yeah um the other that i feel on the third day this woman came in and she taught them 
um, you guys had to be stuck in the mud. Yeah. Which is a really cool. Like, Never had any idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was really nice to see that interaction. Like you said, that, that cultural exchange between yeah. um, things. But I think, uh, yeah, our goal was to get people moving about. And I think it was just a nice product that people were also being social and exchanging their, their, their identities, which was... Yeah, really good. Yeah, especially for something that was sort of relatively a small space. We we definitely wrestled quite a lot with the technology on that project. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's for sure. Like I mean, like I think um, it, it's it's also a really good example of uh, learning to pivot during the development process. That I think has been one of the most uh, important lessons, at least for me, yeah. uh, throughout this entire year. Is especially faced with deadlines uh, and a lot of deadlines. <laughs> um, uh, sort of learning how to sort of adjust those those expectations or trying to figure out the best path to reach uh, success uh, has been something that's been really difficult to learn. Um, and like with the musical playground specifically, um, trying to work out how we were going to get a finished pro uh, product meant that we had to leave some of the things that we had worked on behind, at least for the exhibition, for the show. We created a, um, a really cool sort of prototype that people really like, where you were jumping on top of a, a hopscotch game that sort of came down. It was very Guitar Hero-like, yeah. where you're left foot and right foot. And I, I, I love that. It's something that, that I think was just fun to sort of move around. But I think that, that bits of that ended up in our final product in a way that sort of like where people would move around and these little uh, representations on screen would follow them as well. Uh, there there are, are, are feelings that came from that experience that, that sort of came together. Um, can you guys think of like anything that you did in other projects where you, you had to sort of say, okay, well, maybe I can't do this? Because I think for me, uh, that has been one of the, probably the most important lesson that I've learned throughout this whole experience. It's like sometimes you need to be able to yeah. cut things. And I think that, that seeing that from the outside of game development, like, oh, well, why did this level not make it? Yeah. Or why are things yeah. delayed? Or why are these this stuff happening? And now that I've been in an experience where I've had to sort of make those hard decisions, it's really sort of prepped me to sort of understand what it's like on the other side of the table. Why are these cuts happening? So, mm. yeah. Just proves that more doesn't always mean better, even yeah. though um, we could have easily added on that hopscotch thing, but it wouldn't yeah. have added to the whole experience. It would have yeah. kind of distracted away from the main experience. And yeah. I think um, a lot of people don't really, they see like cut content as, oh, these guys are just trying to make extra DLC or extra money afterwards. But yeah. it's, not, it's not really like that sometimes. It's like, it's like, you know, it doesn't fit as a whole. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's a, that's a really important thing in most experiences. It, it, it needs to feel cohesive. It needs to feel like there's a message and there's a point and everyone is working towards the same goal. Yes. Yeah. Like you said, um, projects change so much and um, just just you need to make sure there's, there's, there's someone there to ensure that there's a message at the end, at the end of the day. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I, I feel like with, with our first term project, we tried to make this really big sort of like, um, yeah. <laughs> we, we scoped really big and we tried to make this himo shooter, so Overwatch thing with a really uh, a rewind mechanic into it. Um, so we spent like two months working on that, programming it, making assets, doing sound. And I think in the last two weeks, I can't, we kind of like, we were, on, we were really on edge and <laughs> I, I kind of had a breakdown and just went, yeah. okay, let's just cut everything out of it that doesn't add to the experience and it ended up being a single player puzzle game 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I remember when you guys first showed that, and it was like these blocks, and you had basically shown the mechanic of this multiplayer element, and yeah. like that was not what you were highlighting, which is not a bad yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just sort of like it's interesting to watch that shift occur throughout the process of development. Yeah. And I think um, it's a really big lesson I've learned that game design and game development is a really iterative process. You can't come in with it like with all the plans ready and just execute it because as soon as you play test that that's where you're gonna get all your answers. That's you need to take that feedback back and iterate, iterate, iterate. Um, so it's it's really the only way to make a quality product. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, with that being said, I I really think um, the single player shift was a lot better than what we had in the beginning because uh, now now it feels more like a game rather than a tech demo. Or, yeah. And I think that really hit hit it focused the point for me that. You need a message. You need it needs to be cohesive, and if you ensure those things, it'll be a good experience. Yeah, like I, I generally try and see cutting content as a really good thing. Yeah. Um, and like when I'm working on a project and the deadline is looming, it's like I encourage myself to cut as much content as possible while still having like something that delivers the like the vision and the intention of the project. Mm. Um, and it's kind of the same when you're like writing a, a talk or a speech. Yeah. Like you yeah. want to try and get it as brief as possible, yeah. but it depends. Like again, like you need time to figure out what to cut. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes to game development, you save a huge amount of time by doing that as well. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's funny because like you talk about a speech or something like that where concision is really important. You get to the point where you're distilling exactly what it is that you're saying. You end up completely rewriting it sometimes and that's not always an option with a game so what do you do when you have to pivot in an experience like that like uh, do you guys have any examples of things that you've done where just cutting a piece what did that how did that affect the project and how did you proceed I mean I know for for example like in our first term project I guess there's not anybody here in this room who worked on it but when we worked on normal for Norman which was a virtual reality experience um, uh, I worked with, uh, did a couple of different things on the project, but I wrote the story with Alex, um, and we had originally envisioned, uh, we, we had this whole narrative arc, and it was going to be five sequences, and it was about this old man that had sort of lost his way, and it was like, you were taking, sort of kind of like what we were playing in Florence, where uh, you're, you're complicit with this idea and you're acting out these moments in his life, and while we thought that was really interesting, we thought that that didn't really, um, I don't know, it sort of show uh, the best type of experience in virtual reality, where in that case it was more, and I, I think I talked about this on a previous episode, but I was actually really inspired by Super Mario Odyssey, where there's just something interesting to do everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and virtual reality really lends itself to something like that. So during development, like what we really do, had to do is we, had, we sat down and we're like, okay, well, at this point, I don't think we have enough time to do this, this sort of set of sequences. We don't have enough time to sort of build these environments. Um, but we have time to make this work and make it do something really interesting. And really what that ended up being, the core of this experience is how um, the room changes without you even realizing it behind you, basically, um, when uh, timelines change. So like basically you're still progressing through this man's memories of this man's life, uh, but it doesn't happen in a specific sequence the way that it, what, uh, it, we had originally envisioned, and it's much better for it. I think it does much more interesting things. Um, 
so I don't know if you guys have a, another experience that might be similar, like where you actually had to sort of like change the way that things were. I mean, that also works when we're talking about we got rid of the hopscotch thing. But um, uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys had to make any changes for the visual novel project that you were working on or... <laughs> we uh, definitely, yeah, time was an issue. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we basically, uh, I was doing all of the drawings, so they would definitely take like, it's like 10 to 15 hours yeah. per image, basically. Yeah. I mean, depending on, like, definitely for the backgrounds, it took that much time. Yeah. But also the individual, like, characters and assets were quite time-consuming to do. So what we yeah. ended up doing was we sort of had, like, a half-finished thing where, like, I, we included assets that were still in kind of, like, the sketch process. It sort of fit together, but, um, like, as sort of a proof of concept, but I think that yeah, it's definitely not a polished thing that we can yeah. send. So I think that in terms of our what we had for a fir for first-term project, like, yeah, it was just like basically like, yes, this is what we have so far, and this is where we're planning to go, but it was definitely not a finished thing. And I think, like, yeah, absolutely for something like that, time management is key. Yeah, <laughs> it's a hard thing to do. Yeah, it yeah. really is. Yeah. Um, like, cool. There was a, a project that I worked on last year before the degree, yeah. um, which was like... Uh, an interactive book on a website. Oh, cool. Um, and originally the vision for the project was that uh, people would return to the website every day and they would unlock a new chapter so they would be forced to like spread their reading out over yeah. long periods of time. And so we built the whole concept up around that. But after doing a bit of testing, we found that people don't want to like get an email to be like, hey, you should read the next chapter yeah, every day. That's annoying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we like cut that feature out and it yeah. made the experience a lot more like approachable for people that way. How did it change the experience? Well, I mean, like it went from like a, a project where you just sort of dip in and slowly expose yourself to it to something where you know you like set aside a chunk of time and it's like five hours to read through. So a, could a you whole thing. could you read it all in one sitting if you wanted to, or yeah, did, were you still restrained? Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, what was it about? Um, that's a very good question. <laughs> it, it has a very sort of elaborate plot. It was yeah. in the 1980s. Um, it was like a little bit about the Cold War and yeah. like growing up as like a uh, like woman like in in progress. <laughs> yeah. Uh, during that time period, but yeah, the I don't know a huge amount about like what was going on in the yeah. story behind it because I, I was mostly working on as a developer for that project. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm curious, yeah. what was that relationship work? Did you guys have a team of writers, or were they writers that were working on other roles as well? So we had a writer who was like doing the the book as her PhD project. Okay, and she was parked up with us, and so like I would work on the development, and then we had a couple of people doing design and concept development uh, on the team. Yeah, and so. Basically, like I would talk to the concept development people, and the concept development people would talk to the author, and yeah. try and like. Basically, we'd end up pitching projects uh, to the writer. Yeah. Um, and eventually, like, came across something that she liked and worked with that. Oh wow! Uh, was this something that you worked on remotely? Uh, yeah. So the the author was actually based in London. Okay. Um, and the rest of the team is based in Sydney. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> well, was that was that hard to deal with time zone differences or? I mean, like, since the bulk of the team was in Sydney, it was okay. Yeah. Okay. There's been other projects I've had where the time zone thing is a huge issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not this one, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. All right. Well, um, I, I think sort of like this, just for me, feels like this whole conversation has come full circle. We started off talking about Florence where uh, this idea of less is more. Mm. 
is very much what we've sort of seen coming about in our own experiences during development where we've got these mechanics that are very fine-tuned or these ideas um, uh, sort of reiterate uh, how keeping in mind that during that development process this idea of making sure that we're able to sort of finish what it is and what we're saying is what we're saying that distillation just like writing a speech or like other things this editing process in games exists as well uh for people that are listening so um yeah i uh, i, I want to first thank everybody here uh for uh coming to speak with us um and uh yeah it's been a pleasure uh for people that are listening to the podcast we are taking questions uh, if you'd like to sort of reach out to us and have us answer questions on the podcast, you can reach out to us at contact at playfulexperiences.com or you can find us on Twitter at underscore experience play. And those are two ways to sort of follow to see when we have new episodes. Originally, we had planned on doing sort of weekly episodes. I'm not sure how feasible that is, but we will continue to make these over the summer. Uh, and we would love to hear uh, your thoughts and questions from you if you've got a specific idea that you're interested in a game you'd like us to talk about or otherwise um yeah uh, does anybody else want to share anything else before we head out like uh, contact information where they can find more of the work that you're doing anything that you're really excited about uh i've got a twitter handle <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah, that if you want um it's uh at w-i-c-h-a-y-a underscore k <laughs> I should think about it. This will be in the, the, the show notes, show notes as well. But yeah, um, yeah, you can you can follow me at or at Matt Deline. Uh, we've also got a Twitch uh, channel as well, which we haven't really started doing that, so we'll update that as well. Uh, just sort of things that we're playing. Um, cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, thanks again. Uh, bye, everybody. Bye. bye. bye.